Hey everybody, welcome into this week's podcast. Pastor Mark Lindsay from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Healthy Church reaching out and welcoming in. Enjoy. Comes as well. I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad you have your Bible with you. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I want to publicly say thank you to Jonathan Raffney for filling in at the very last minute uh, to be able to stand and to deliver God's Word to you last Sunday in the midst of um, my illness. And uh, I'm grateful for Jonathan's work in ministry uh, here among us. Uh, if, if you want to know what it's like uh, to be called on a Saturday and say, hey, I need you to preach tomorrow, just give me your number, and the next time I feel ill, I'll call you and let you get ready. And uh, Jonathan uh, is well prepared uh, to be able to share the Word of God. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Thank you for many of you who have called and prayed and, and uh, concerned about uh, our physical welfare and uh, being able to know that uh, your praying uh, brings about healing as well. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we've been here, camped here for about five weeks, or well, really now six weeks, but we've camped here for a while in, in order to learn this one statement. And the statement is this, healthy churches are made up of healthy believers. Healthy churches are made up of healthy believers. God's desire is for you as a child of the faith to be a healthy believer. But, but I also believe that God's desire as well is that he created us to be healthy creatures. But somewhere along the line, Satan intervened. Someone said it this way and described it this way, tongue-in-cheek, if you will, in, in, a, in a different kind of way. He said, God populated the earth with broccoli, cauliflower, spinach, green and yellow vegetables of all kinds, so man and woman would live long and healthy lives. But then Satan created McDonald's. And McDonald's brought forth a 99-cent double cheeseburger. And then Satan said to man, you want fries with that? And man said, supersize them. And man gained pounds. God created beautiful yogurt so a woman would, might keep her figure that man found so fair. And then Satan brought forth chocolate. And woman gained pounds. God said, try my crispy fresh salad. Then Satan brought forth ice cream. And woman gained more pounds. God said, I sent you heart healthy vegetables and olive oil with which to cook them. Then Satan brought forth chicken fried steak. So big it needed its own platter. And man gained pounds, and his bad cholesterol went through the roof. So God brought forth running shoes. And man resolved to lose those extra pounds. Then Satan brought forth cable TV. 
complete with a remote control. So you not have to toil to change channels. And man gained even more pounds. And God brought forth a potato. A vegetable naturally low in fat and brimming with nutrition. Then Satan peeled off the healthful skin and sliced the starchy center into chips and deep fat fried them. And he created sour cream and onion dip also. And man clutched his remote control and ate the potato chips and soaked in cholesterol. And so Satan said, it is good. And man went into cardiac arrest and God sighed and created quadruple bypass heart surgery. Then Satan created HMOs. See, as much as the Lord wants us to maintain healthy bodies, even more he wants us, he is concerned about healthy souls. After all, these physical bodies have a limited warranty. One day, these physical bodies will wear out and you will die because this body which houses you is not designed to live forever. But the soul does live forever. God desires for you to have healthy bodies, but even more, He desires for you to have a healthy soul, to be a healthy believer, and healthy believers create healthy churches. And one of the models for healthy church and healthy believers is found in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And so we've been camped here for a while and we've been evaluating ourselves. Am I healthy as a child of God? Is my church healthy because of who I am as a follower of Jesus Christ? So we read once again from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We're told they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the mighty wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Now we have focused on ten basic Christian disciplines which produces healthy believers. And they've all been discovered through these verses, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And the first five of which we discovered was... A healthy believer is able to make these statements. I apply the truth in my daily life. Healthy believers take the Word of God and every day allows the Word of God through their reading and studying to determine how their lives are lived. Number two, I regularly engage in Christian fellowship. We as the children of God were not made to be islands among ourselves, but to be in fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Number three, I make prayer a daily priority. Prayer is not something you just say and quote uh, as in memory at a meal, but prayer is something where every day you stay constantly in touch with the Father. A healthy believer says, I trust God to do the impossible. See, healthy believers realize we are limited, but with God, all things are possible. So what we cannot do, we trust God to take care of that. The number five, I jealously guard the unity of my church. A healthy believer is concerned about the church's reputation before the community, a church that will be as with one heart and one mind that others will want to see and be able to see the love of Christ in them. And then number six, I joyfully share the financial resources God gives to me. A healthy believer realizes that we owe nothing. We're simply stewards of everything that God owns. Number seven, I actively participate in large group worship. And number eight, I'm connected with others in a smaller group. That we are connected together as we come as a large group to worship the Lord together. But the flip side of that is we get to know one another and we serve one another and we care about one another through smaller groups. Now you say those eight seems to be a comprehensive list. And you, you might say, all right, I've checked off the vast majority of those, or, or I can even say, say most of those are define me as a child of God. But these first eight are simply just the beginning. These first eight set the stage for healthy churches and healthy believers. We still have two more that we have to understand. Now let me give you a definition of what is a healthy church, which is made up by healthy believers. A healthy church is one which fulfills the mission God has given to it. A healthy church is one who fulfills the mission. And so that's why we come at the end of this study, this five-week study of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, to, to finally come to the point where we see that all eight of these simply prepare us for the last two. To fulfill the mission which God has given to us. And here's the last two. That a healthy believer is able to make this, these statements. I consistently share my faith with non-believers and I gladly welcome people into the church. Friends, this is why we exist. You, you look at the first eight. The first eight are designed to equip you and to equip the church to fulfill its mission. That you read your Bible daily, that you pray, that you, that you guard the unity of the church, you give of your resources. All of that is in order to equip you to finally come to these last two that I consistently share my faith story with non-believers. And as a result, I gladly welcome them into the family of faith. That is our mission. That is why we say to you, take life to the city. You look back on the history of this early church of Acts chapter 2. The church was started with 120 people praying in an upper room. 
On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached a sermon and 3,000 were saved and welcomed into the church that day. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, the number of believers had grown to 5,000 men, not counting the wives and the children. And then when you get to the end of Acts, in Acts chapter 21 and verse 20, Luke's, Luke's quit counting. You know, he, 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 he uses the word myriads, which means too many to count. You know, he starts out in Acts chapter uh, 3, Acts chapter 2, 3,000. He goes to Acts chapter 4 in Jerusalem there, 5,000. And by the time he closes out his account of this early church, he says there are more than we could ever count. They came to faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Let's focus on verse 47 of Acts chapter 2. For we're told this. That the believers were enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. 3,000, 5,000 to myriads. See, sharing the good news of Jesus has always been the main mission of the church. C.S. Lewis wrote this. And I've often gone back to it to remind me to keep my compass focused in the right way as I look at the direction of the church. C.S. Lewis said the church exists for nothing else but to draw men to Christ. To make them into little Christ. If they, that is the church, if the church is not doing that, then all the cathedrals, all the buildings, all the clergy, all the staff and preachers, all the mission trips, all the sermons preached, even the Bible itself is nothing but a waste of time. Friends, if our goal and our mission and the reason we exist is not to make disciples to tell others about Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis says, God became man for no other purpose. If there's any other reason we exist, then we're just wasting our time on a Sunday morning. We might as well schedule in something else. If the reason we are here is not to equip ourselves and to equip the church in order to take life to the city, then, friends, we are just spinning our wheels. See, I, I would like to conduct an official, unofficial survey. Right? I, I, I'm just curious. Right? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you came to faith in Christ primarily because you went to church and you heard and you simply heard the preacher preach a sermon and because of that sermon you came to faith in Christ. Anybody want to raise your hand on that? All right. All right. Good. Good. All right. Let me ask you this. How many of you came to faith in Christ because somebody else cared enough to tell you about the good news of Jesus Christ and his love for you? How many can you raise your hand? All right. All right. In my unofficial survey, in my unofficial survey, more of us came to faith in Christ because somebody shared the good news with us. Somebody took the time. To tell us that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. So I'm going to ask you a question. Then I'm going to give you two assignments. All right. Now here's the question. 
Are you consistently sharing your faith story with those who need Jesus? Are you consistently sharing your faith story with those who need Jesus? I'm going to let you ponder that. As you ponder that, I'm going to give you two assignments. And this first assignment can be accomplished immediately right now. This first assignment can be accomplished right now. And here's number one. Ask God to give you a burden for people without Christ. Right now. Can, can, can you say, Lord, God, give me a burden for people without Christ. Michael Brady was a stuntman for Universal Studios. He was in Benson, Arizona, preparing for a stunt. He was preparing to parachute onto a moving train. In preparation for this stunt, Michael Benson, Michael Brady, was checking the rigging on one of the boxcars of the train to be used in the movie. He was climbing a ladder on the side when his foot slipped and his hand slipped. He fell accidentally, hit his head, and died instantly. Michael Brady was an organ donor. And the man who received his heart was a man by the name of Bill Wold. Bill Wold had been kept alive for 159 days by a temporary artificial heart. And six months and one day after receiving his new heart, Bill Wold received a letter from Michael Brady's family. And inside that envelope was a picture of Michael Brady. And Bill was surprised to find he had the heart of a 36-year-old Hollywood stuntman. And Bill said, I looked at this incredibly good-looking, super-fit, super-athletic guy, and I thought, are you kidding me? This is whose heart I got. He was amazed because prior to receiving his new heart, Bill Wold had been a top-A, overweight, money-obsessed businessman pursuing a jet-setter lifestyle. But after he received his heart, he spent most of his newfound energy winning speed and performance medals in swimming and cycling and track. Bill Wold was interviewed by a local Phoenix television station, about this whole experience. And in that interview, Bill is glancing toward the bronze and silver and gold medals he had won. And he said this. He said, every day, all day, I thank God for Michael Brady. He said, when I ride, when I work out, the biggest thing is to honor Him. A new heart changed Bill Woe. You realize the Bible tells us that when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, that He is given a new heart. In Exodus chapter 36 
and verse 26, God says, I will give you a new heart, and in you I will put a new spirit. The moment you came to faith in Jesus Christ, God took the heart of stone within you and changed it into a heart of flesh which he could use. And your love became Christ's kind of love. You see, when the heart of Jesus beats in your chest, the biggest thing in your life will be to honor him. His passion will be your passion. And I can tell you the heart of Jesus beats for lost people. The heart of Jesus beats for unreached peoples. The heart of Jesus beats for people who are hastening each day toward hell. And so my assignment is this. Think of someone in your relationship circle who might not be a follower of Jesus Christ. Someone in your circle of relationships, be family, friend, work, school, it it could be anyone. Someone in the circle of your relationships whom you could not say with absolute 100% certainty at this moment that when that person dies, if that person dies at this moment, their eternal place will be a place called heaven. Do you care that that person who is so special to you might spend eternity in a place which Jesus called hell? Jesus declared in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, He came to earth to seek and to save the lost. That's why He's here. That's why this church exists. Ask God to burden your heart for those in your circle of relationships who need Jesus. Many of you have been praying for your one these last couple of years. We've asked you to choose one person for, who does not know Christ the Savior to pray that that person might come to faith in Christ. And for over two years, you may have been praying for that one. And you might even have become discouraged saying, well, I've seen no progress. I've seen nothing to indicate that that person has any desire to take a step toward knowing who Jesus is. Friends, let me tell you, do not give up. Do not give up. For Jesus even said, God said that it is his desire that none should perish, but all might have eternal life. If that's God's heart, that's God's desire, then quit, then don't quit praying for it to take place in the life of your one. So here's the first assignment. Ask God to give you a burden for people without Christ. Now here's the second assignment. This assignment, the first one, right now. Conduct that assignment. Get it done. The second one is for when you walk out these doors in just a few moments. And the second assignment is this. Look for opportunities to start conversations about Christ. If you go back and you read verse 47 of Acts chapter 2, there's one word that stands out. I mean, I mean, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks once again when I began to reading through this. And the word is daily. Daily. 
People who found faith and forgiveness through Jesus were telling other people about the saving grace of Christ at work, at, at the marketplace, on the road, at home, and even at the camel races. You know, everywhere, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. In other words, it was their lifestyle habit. It's not something that they said, well, I've got to get this done because I'm a Christian. It's simply a habit that they wanted to share what God had done in their lives. See, we're here today because of Acts chapter 2. You and I are here today because the Holy Spirit embodied the lives of the disciples. They did not just talk about witnessing. They were witnesses. They represented Jesus everywhere they went. They began where they lived in Jerusalem. And then wherever they went, whether that's Judea, Samaria, they began to, to talk about the life-changing power of Jesus, even to the ends of the earth. Friends, I, it's sobering to think, but you and I are believers today because a few disciples back in Acts chapter 2 told some people about Jesus, who in turn told someone else, who in turn told someone else. And that word began to spread from generation to generation, from culture to culture, from century to century. And now here we are some 2,000 years later. And what began in Acts chapter 2 with these folk who were daily telling others their faith story to others, that story has not stopped. In fact, it's continued. It started with 3,000 to 5,000 to myriads, and it's only picked up steam down through the thousands of years to you and me. And friends, you and I have now landed in our hands. You and I, as the people of faith, as the church, are now responsible for telling others about the love of Jesus. You say, now wait a minute. They did that in the Bible times, and I'm supposed to do it now? Well, yes, because that progression is continued. Friends, it's the only plan Jesus had for his church. We cannot grow weary. We must tell others. Bill Wool traveled to see Michael Brady's family after receiving that letter. And that strong heart of that 36-year-old Hollywood stuntman was beating in his chest. In meeting Michael's parents, Bill discovered that Michael was a man who truly loved God and truly cared about people. And then he met Michael's brother, Chris. Chris came walking into the room with a stethoscope in his hand. And he said to Bill, he said, do you mind? I just want to connect with my brother one more time. And Bill Wool said, certainly. And he unbuttoned his shirt 
And Chris Brady put the stethoscope in his ears and then placed it on the chest of this man and heard the heartbeat of his brother. Friends, I, I pray if God were to put his ear to my chest and to your chest, that he would hear the heartbeat of his son beating to win the world to faith in him. We all have a life story, a faith story. We all have a faith story which speaks of who you were before you met Christ, how you came to faith in Christ, and how your life is different. See, my faith story begins as a young boy. And before Christ, I possessed fear. I I was afraid of death. You know, as a nine-year-old kid, you, you can't comprehend what death is, finality of all that. I was afraid of death. I was afraid, what happens after you die? I was afraid I might die. And it all came to a head when my mother, who was probably at that time in her early 40s, was going to have gallbladder surgery. And I thought that elderly lady... It's not going to make it through surgery on the table. And I was afraid my mother was going to die. And so I told her, I I said, Mom, I, I said, I don't want you to have this surgery because I want you to live. And she talked to me a little bit about death and about Jesus. And then she called Dr. Sam Reeves, who's our pastor of the First Baptist Church, Arkadelphia, Arkansas. And uh, Dr. Sam came to our home and sat me down on the couch in the living room and talked to me about the death of Jesus and why that is important. And because of the death of Christ, who paid the price for my sin upon the cross of Calvary, that when my time came to die, that I would not just cease to exist, but I would be with him forever. And on that day, as a nine-year-old, I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior, and I gave my life to him. And ever since then, fear has never been a part of my life. Even through difficult times and through through times when, when I've struggled, fear has... Fear has been taken away. Fear is gone. I no longer fear death. In fact, I, was, I, I, I no longer fear death so much that, that I take, my place, take myself to places where people who are experiencing death and try to minister to them. See, Jesus Christ at the age of nine gave me a new heart. And that new heart overcame the fear of death. And gave me a relationship with the one who is in control of all my life. See, that's my faith story. As simple as it is. 
And God has called me to share my faith story with you and with others. And you have your faith story. Find a way to start a conversation so that you can share that story about how Jesus Christ has given you a new heart. Do you have someone in mind? If you ask God to burden you for someone who is who does not have a faith story themselves. It may be in this room as size as the number of people are in this room. You may be the one who does not have that faith story. Because you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Or you've got a religious story, maybe. You've got a church story. But you've never taken the step of believing in Jesus Christ as God's only Son who died on the cross for you. Who shed blood that was the payment for your sin. And you offer yourself to Him. And you choose to walk from your old life and to walk with Him. And allow Him to change you from the inside out. Give you a new heart. You can have a new heart today. Just come before the Father. And just say to Him, Father, here I am. I love You. And I need You to forgive me of my sin. And then make the commitment to follow Him as His child. See, we exist as a church to take life to our city and beyond. Do not give up praying for your one. Take every opportunity to share your faith story. It may be this morning that you've been praying for, you've been thinking about somebody else who needs to know about Jesus. I'm going to ask during this invitation time that you spend that time in prayer for that person. And during the invitation time, simply say, God, here I am. Use me any way you choose. Father, I'm so grateful you allow us to come before you. Father, as lowly as we are, just piles of dust. But Father, in the midst of this earthen container, there's a great treasure. And that treasure is how you create us to have a soul that can connect with you. And Father, all over this room are people whose souls are filled with the, with the presence of Christ. But yet, Lord, we have lost our way and forgotten the main mission of why we're here. Father, give us a burden for those who do not know you. Father, may you allow us to come into the family of faith and, and to equip one another for the church take life to the city. Father, there are so many around us 
who are in need of a saving relationship with Christ, who need new hearts. Father, use us in order to reach them. Lord God, there are people in this room right now who are longing for newness in their heart. And whether it is fear which is driving their lives, whether it is anger, whether it is self-centeredness, whatever it is, Father, you have promised you would take that and you replace it with your love and your grace and your peace and your forgiveness. If only they would give themselves to you. So, Lord, today, may you experience a harvest in your kingdom. Because there are men and women who are willing to say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Would you stand with me just for a moment? 